Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to Matthew. After Jesus was baptized, he was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. He fasted 40 days and 40 nights, and afterwards he was famished. The tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But he answered, It is written, One does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and placed him on the pinnacle of the temple, saying to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, He will command his angels concerning you, and on their hands they will bear you up, so that you will not dash your foot against a stone. Jesus said to him, Again it is written, Do not put the Lord your God to the test. Again the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. He said to him, All these I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. Jesus said to him, Away with you, Satan. For it is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve only him. Then the devil left him, and suddenly angels came and waited on him. The Gospel of the Lord. Our readings in the first Sunday in Lent are foundational to the tradition. We open, of course, with that passage from Genesis, which many of us, if we had any acquaintance with Christianity as children, probably remember from a very young age. The story of Adam and Eve and the serpent in the garden. Sadly, or maybe predictably, as a garden story, we lose the proverbial forest for the trees. We can get tangled up in debates over gender, for instance. You know, was it Eve's fault that Adam ate the fruit? In fact, if you read the story as a whole, you discover that that is one of the first things that happen after they eat the fruit. They all start pointing fingers at each other, right? Or the other debate that has been very common on the American scene since late in the 19th century is whether we should read this story as a literal, historical occurrence. I think it's very unlikely that our ancient spiritual ancestors intended that way. No, I think this is a spiritual story 
about growing up. About growing up. It's curious, isn't it, that God warns Adam and Eve not to eat the fruit of the tree of knowledge of good and evil. Not because God wants to remain in charge, but because they are not yet ready. In fact, the tradition tells us this. Later on in the wisdom literature of the Hebrew Scriptures, we have the image of the tree of life as a source of wisdom and deep knowledge, but it is not gained through simply reaching out and grabbing it. It is gained through the growth that comes through experience. In other words, Adam and Eve are children still. They are not yet ready. More evidence of that, you can see what happens after they eat the fruit. What do they do? Well, they discover, as we all discovered as we were growing up, when we hit maybe early adolescence, just how awkward and strange we are as creatures, right? You remember that? Feeling like all arms and legs, feeling like you couldn't move in any direction without bumping into something accidentally or tipping something over, not being sure what to do with this strange thing that we call a body. It's encapsulated in that image of them realizing that they are naked and for shame, they are ashamed all of a sudden that they are naked, that they are as God made them. They're ashamed of that, and so they make loincloths for themselves. And for those of you who remember the story, they hide then in the garden, not only from God for fear of wrath, but from one another. Because they have done what we all do as children moving into adolescence, we take on the burden of judgment. And sometimes even assume that our judgment is like God's judgment. And we all know the social discord and the disasters and the tears and the pain that that brings into our lives. Anyone who has walked with a teenager knows this, right? It's a rocky road. Growing up is hard. And it may not be God's judgment that brings about death. It may be actually our judgment, our false judgments, our premature judgments, our uninformed judgments, the judgments we have taken on by putting ourselves in the place of God. That sense of the ancient primordial sin. But the good news, if there is good news to this story, is that we are reminded that this sin is garden variety, right? It's part of being human. Part of being in the world and part of growing up. Paul writing his sort of magnum opus, his great theological treatise, The Letter to the Romans, in the middle of the first century, wrestles with this deep inherited tradition about being creatures of sin 
and how Jesus begins to unwind that. In other words, how Jesus invites us into spiritual adulthood to finally grow up, to take on the deep wisdom that is part of the ancestral tradition and to grow fully into God's love for each of us, to move beyond the shame and the hiding and all of the things that come with that. I'm reminded of one of the great petitions that we hear every Ash Wednesday in the service, and that is where we confess the dishonesty of our daily life and work. Most often, we are dishonest because we are afraid. We're afraid of others' judgments. We're even afraid of God's judgment. But if you remember in the primordial story, when God comes to the garden, he's looking for Adam and Eve, not to punish them, but to find them, to draw them back. He calls out to them. And of course, God knows immediately what they've done. It's sort of like catching your child with their hand in the cookie jar. No, it wasn't in the cookie jar. really wasn't. Right? Remember? Remember? Then we have the other foundational story of our tradition, which is the story of Jesus' temptation in the wilderness. It's tempting, again, to lose the forest for the trees, again, in the garden variety way, and think that this is Jesus' unique story. After all, Satan comes to him and says, if you are the son of God, and then it's sort of like watching a movie on TV. It's about somebody else, right? But if we have ears to hear and listen, this, in fact, is about the basic temptations for all of us. Here's one way of thinking about that. Jesus, first of all, is recapitulating the story of his people, the ancient Israelites, right? He goes to the same wilderness that his spiritual ancestors wandered in for 40 years while they were making their way to the promised land. And he is tempted in the same way they are. And the tell for that is when Matthew has Jesus quote Deuteronomy, the Torah, the teachings of Moses to the people at the threshold of the promised land, and he tells them, remember that you do not live on bread alone, but you live by every word that God utters. Satan is tempting Jesus to perform kind of a magic trick, change stones into bread. I want you to think about this this way this year. If one of our ancestors from a thousand years ago were to see what industrialized agriculture and food production is like today, they would probably think it's magic, don't you think? Think about that. And then think about what we are discovering about the consequences of eating high-processed and ultra-processed foods 
not only on our individual bodies, but on our society. We talk about the food deserts, where many of the most impoverished people in our society live. The awful nutritional value of food that's been highly processed and sort of extruded. That's kind of magic, isn't it? It's kind of like we've changed stones into bread, and it is a poison for many of us and on our society. This is one way of understanding what's happening in today's gospel. Jesus remembers, remembers that food isn't just produced by magic. Food is a consequence of collective action as a people. We rely on relationships and our community from the farmers to those who harvest the crops, to the people who bring it to the marketplace, to the livelihoods that allow us to purchase it. We rely on all of that to eat. We depend not only on God, but we depend on one another as we wait for good, nutritious food to grow up from the ground. And all of the time and care it takes to cultivate that. We are reminded in Jesus' teachings not to take any of that for granted. So how about this for a Lenten discipline? The next time you are in the grocery store, offer thanks for the many hands that have made it possible for you to take some food off the shelf and take it home and cook it and prepare it and eat it. Or those in your home who help bring the food to the table. We do not live by bread alone, but by the word of God who calls us together into community. The second temptation is also garden variety, you might say. Jesus is taken to the pinnacle of the temple, and Satan invites him to throw himself off because the angels will catch him. Satan here quotes scripture. Satan's caught on to the game, right? And he can quote scripture just as much as Jesus can. What that potential action embodies then is the fundamental question of judgment. And it's like Adam and Eve hiding in the garden. What if God doesn't love me? What if God doesn't love me? How can I find out? But Jesus remembers the deep tradition, which is not to put God to the test, but to step out in faith that God loved us from the beginning and always loves us, just as God came into the garden searching for Adam and Eve, hiding amongst the trees and leaves. The beginning of an adult faith is to realize at a very deep place in our hearts that God loves us, full stop. Not just you and me, but everyone. 
And if we take that seriously, everything changes. We suddenly find the capacity to set aside much of our fear and all of the petty judgments that come with that. We find in ourselves then the strength to stand for good things and just things and the new world that God dreams of in our midst. Rather than thinking for ourselves anymore, we think for the good of others. That is actually a liberating teaching, isn't it? And it all begins with the assumption, with the faithful assumption, that we are loved, full stop. No exceptions, no caveats. Then finally, Satan gets down to brass tacks, right? He takes Jesus up on a high mountain and shows him all the kingdoms of the world. He's given up quoting scripture, and he says, you know, I'll give all of this to you, everything. But with a price, bow down and worship me. The temptation to power. One of the great steps in growing up as people of faith is to recognize that the temptation to power is everywhere around us. The power over ourselves, the power over others, the power to control our own destiny and lives. And Jesus responds with the first commandment. We are to love God and God alone. As we say in our prayers, to God belongs the power. To give up our own destinies and the control that we often grasp and cultivate and cling to tightly in our lives, we have to give that first and foremost over to God. And then we have a chance to grow up and be truly free. These are hard teachings, aren't they? They're very basic, and we encounter these temptations every day of our lives. But remember the good news. These are garden variety. And the promise is that As Jesus moves through these, he is creating a path for the rest of us to follow. He's blazing a trail to what we call salvation, healing, not just for ourselves, but for everyone we serve. That is our Lenten journey. Thank you for listening to this sermon podcast from the Episcopal Church of Our Savior, Mill Valley, California. We are a growing community welcoming those seeking to deepen their relationship with God 
and to journey in faith with God's people through the breaking of bread and in service to others in Christ's name. You may reach us by phone at 415-388-1907, search for us online, or visit our website at OurSaviorMillValley.org. We wish you God's peace, and we hope to greet you in person very soon.